How many is excited about being in the house of God today? All right. All right, last week's message, Brother TJ, you know, he, he started recording it halfway through, so I had people texting me, hey, man, where's the podcast? That message was really good. I want to hear it again. I'm sorry it didn't get posted because I wasn't going to start it off right in the middle of the message because if you didn't hear the first half, I listened to the half, last half. I thought maybe it'll carry through, but if you missed the first half of that message, and you're not going to really understand a lot in the second half. So that's why one didn't get posted. So we fired him, and we got Amanda up there today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. TJ got called into work. He texted me late last night. He didn't get fired. So if he he listens to the podcast, TJ, you didn't get fired. Get back to church next week. So I'm just kidding. Second Timothy chapter four. Remember last week I had the iPad up here because I got to use that in the Philippines, and I thought, well, I might as well start practicing and get used to using it. Yeah, I ain't practicing nothing. Because that was miserable. I felt so out of sync last week. Didn't know what I was doing. I felt like I was off, off kilter the whole service while I was preaching. And so I got my Bible back up here with me anyway. So what did I do? I typed the entire message out on the iPad, then I printed it. <laughs> so it's on the iPad, then I printed it off. So and I just, I'll be honest with you, I just brought the Bible. It's up here for looks. Because I printed the scriptures off as well. So I got the scriptures and everything off the iPad. And I got the Bible there. And you know why? Because that's my security blanket. I've got my Bible with me now. I feel like I can preach. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. As Paul's writing to Timothy here, he says, I have fought the good fight. Have you fought the good fight today? Do you feel like you have fought the good fight in your life? Do you feel like every time the devil has come against you, Every time he has come against your family, every time he has come against your mind or your body or anything in your life, do you feel like you have fought a good fight? That's the question that I want you to ask yourself as you listen to this message today. Have I fought a good fight? Or have I done as the world said? The world tells the church today that you're supposed to love, 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 and we're not supposed to fight. It's all about love. It's all about grace. And there's no fighting that's supposed to be taking place in our lives. But what the world don't understand is the majority of the fighting that takes place in the world takes place because of love. It's because of love that we fight. It's because of our children that we love that we get into arguments with people over them. It's because of our spouse that somebody is looking. It's because of that love that we fight for them. It is because of that love that Christ overcame and fought his personal feelings and emotions and went to the cross. It was because of love. So yes, you are supposed to love, but a lot of times love leads to fighting. World War I itself was started over love, the love of a death one. A the love of a loved one that died, was killed, started World War I. Love always leads to fighting. Have you argued with your spouse this week? Do you love them? Love is always going to be involved. Love doesn't mean you sit down, you shut your mouth, you turn around, you go the other direction, and you let the world walk all over the kingdom of God and you yourself as well. Love means you stand up and you fight for what is right biblically. Sometimes it takes putting down the, put off to the side love and putting on the gloves and going to battle for that which is right in the kingdom of God, that which is right in our lives. Sometimes we have to fight for what we want in our life, whether it be your deliverance, whether it be your healing, whether it be your victory, whether it keep that healing, whether to keep that victory. Sometimes you're going to have to put the gloves on and fight for it because if not, the enemy will walk right in the door and take it from you. 
Let somebody walking down the street say something negative to our child, give our child a dirty look, and we're ready to drop hammer on them right there and go to battle for them. How many times, just to the women in this room, how many times has somebody said something or done something to a loved one and mama bear was ready to come out after them? Everybody know what I'm talking about? As an umpire in baseball, there's many times I called little junior out on strikes, you know, and say 12, 13-year-old boy, and I rung him up real good, and Mama Bear was up at the fence giving me the business because I embarrassed her son. Well, I just look at him. He should have swung. It was right over the middle of the plate. He embarrassed himself. But the, well, the point that I'm trying to make is this. We get so mad and so overprotective of our children that Mama Bear comes out and sometimes God's saying, I need Mama Bear to come out in the kingdom of God. Stand up and defend the church. Stand up and defend my word. Stand up and defend yourselves for the victory that God's already got instilled in you that you're letting Satan lie to you and take out the back door. God's saying it's time for the Christian, it's time for the church to stand up and let Mama Bear rear her ugly head a little bit and start defending the faith of the Word of God according to the Jude in the third chapter. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. What is that telling us? That you can fight and keep the faith. The world says, well, you shouldn't do that. You aren't a good Christian. What kind of Christian are you? Boy, you're a terrible individual out there sitting there hollering and screaming about the kingdom of God. What kind of individual are you? I'll tell you what kind I am. I'm keeping the faith. This scripture here tells you that you can have a, you can fight a good fight and you can keep the faith. But that's not what the world wants the church to believe today. The world wants us to believe that we need to sit down, be quiet, judge not, lest you be judged. You know, you don't want to aggravate things. You don't want to upset anybody. Take everybody in and love them and bypass on the other 99.9% .9 of the Bible. And God's saying those days are over. He's got a victory in every single one of you, but you might have to fight to get that victory. Can you say amen? amen. What constitutes a good fight? What constitutes a good fight is going into battle with the Lord and the Word of God going before you. And when you come out, you're still following the Lord and the Word of God. How many here have heard of Chuck Templeton, Bron Clifford, and Billy Graham, those three men? Now, most people, yeah, Billy Graham, Billy Graham, but how about Chuck Templeton and Bron Clifford? Those three men started out in ministry with Billy Graham back in 1945. They would pack out thousands of people in the stadiums. And they would come to hear those three speak. Bron Clifford ended up dying an alcoholic 15 years later out of the ministry. Never preached, again, never preached three years after that. Three years after that, sitting in stadiums, winning souls to Christ, he was out of the ministry, ended up dying an alcoholic. Chuck Templeton was the prize jewel of the three. It was proclaimed that he would be the greatest of those three and his ministry would span the globe and millions would come into the kingdom of God under his name. Within five years of that time, he was a newscaster in New York and was self-proclaimed atheist. The one that they all thought would fail and would never make it as a minister was Billy Graham and we know where he ended up today. 
Why did Billy Graham make it and the other two didn't? The other two didn't make it was because when the enemy come knocking on the door, they didn't fight the good fight. They allowed him to come right in, deceive, and lie to him. The same things happened to Billy Graham back at that time as it happened to the other two. But guess what? Billy Graham fought the good fight. He fought the fight of faith. He fought the fight with the Word of God, and he took it to the devil. He didn't sit back. He went after the devil, he says in his biography, and he attacked. He didn't sit back pacified and saying, it's going to be okay, brethren. He went after him, and because of it, he was victorious. He fought the good fight of faith. Three men, two fell to the wayside because, oh, well, that's not the way a Christian should act. But Billy Graham rose up and he fought the good fight of faith and you see what his life did. That's the type of fight that we got to begin fighting in our lives today. That's the type of fight that God wants in us. He wants that fight that's going to say, I'm not going to allow it to happen for me and my house. We should serve the Lord. But what happens today with parents? Oh, that's Junior and, and, and that's Sissy over there. They're, they're going to be okay. Just give them their space. They're going to be all right. They're going to come back to the kingdom of God. Where in the Bible does it say to give them their space? Where in the Bible does it say to, to, to let little sissy and buddy go do whatever they want to do because someday they're going to come back to the kingdom of God? Let somebody raise a fist to little sissy and little buddy. I don't know why I'm using those names. Those are weird names. Well, let somebody raise a fist to them and watch how we come up out of our chairs in a heartbeat to defend our children. But we'll let the, the, the serpent itself walk right into their bedrooms each night. We'll let the serpent lead them right down a pit of hell and we'll let it go. Well, we don't want to push them away from the kingdom of God. We're not going to fight for our kids when it comes to that. But let Earl the drunk across the street holler out in front and say a swear word in front of him. And we're willing to roll down the window and go to battle for him. It's time we stopped fighting the world, started fighting the creator of the world. The one, the one that's causing that division, the one that's causing the problems in the world. It's time to start fighting to get our children back, to get our homes back, to get our jobs back, to get everything back that we had. It's time for the church and the individual that believes in Jesus Christ to rise up and say, Sissy and buddy, sit down on the front pews of church. When you start paying the bills, you can decide what you're going to do. Until then, Sunday morning, you better beat me out to the car, buck. Let Jimmy or Elijah wake up one morning. Even my 19-year-old daughter, let her wake up one morning and say she ain't going to church. She's going to find her bed out in the middle of 241, 231. I'll tell you that much right now. As long as you're under my roof, you're in church. Well, you don't want to push them away and upset them. Yeah, I do. Push them right out the door to a job. You think I could push my child away? Trust me, come Thanksgiving or Christmas, they're going to be knocking on the door. It ain't you that's pushing them away. It's the devil that's pushing them away, and the devil's using you as a tool to do it. You're pushing them farther away from the kingdom of God by not instituting it into them, making them do it, than you are by not. Well, I don't want to upset them. Go ahead, let them go do what they want to do. Here you go, son. Here's a license to kill. Here's a license to hell, because I don't want to upset you. I drag them by that long hair and sling them down that front pew and say, sit down and listen. I'll force them to the altar, too. Sure. You can't force them to get saved, no, but I can force them to feel the power of God coming off the individuals next to them. I don't know why I'm preaching that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. And I'm not a terrible dad. Let me just say that right now. I'm not a terrible dad. 
I wasn't raised in 1952. You know, my kids got a phone. I just monitor what they're doing on it. I know the password. Let me tell you something. I got a daughter that's married, lives in Baltimore, Maryland, and she don't come off my phone bill until February <laughs> because of a contract. Don't you know I'm monitoring what she's doing on her phone, too? I don't care if you're married or not. Man, as long as I'm flipping the bill, I'm going to know what's going on. She goes, well, Dad, I'm in the ministry. That don't mean nothing. Philippians 3.14, most people know this scripture. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Billy Graham, why did he make it and the other two not? Because he was pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Church, you're not going to press toward the mark if you're not fighting. If you're not fighting, let me tell you something. If you're fighting a good fight and you're pressing toward the mark, you're going to be victorious. Now, if, all, if, if it's all just handed to you and you ain't got to worry about anything else, what's there to fight for? What's there to press toward? If everything in the kingdom of God is, hey, you're saved, you're good to go, you got it, what's the use of fighting? What's the use of pressing toward the mark? There's got to be something that you're pressing toward. There's got to be something that you're fighting for. Genesis chapter 32 Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. Don't know why I'm turning to it. I got it printed right here, but that's all right. We find Jacob. At this point, Jacob is panicked. He hears that his brother Esau is after him. Now, how many remember the story of Jacob and Esau? Jacob deceived his father into getting the blessing for the family. This is years later. Esau's brother finds out where Jacob's at, and now he's tracking Jacob down. He's coming after him, and he's coming after his family. Jacob thinks that it's to kill him, so he's panicked at this point. We find out later that's not what Esau's intention was at all, but Jacob here at this point is coming after Jacob. Esau believes that Jacob is coming after him to kill him. Jacob is panicked. He sends his family across the river, and he goes to bed that night, and he begins to wrestle with the Lord. And it says, and Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. We find out in Hosea chapter 12, verse 3 and 4, that it was an angel of the Lord. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He says, he wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, I don't know Jacob personally. Okay, but what I know is this, Jacob must have been a bad man to wrestle with an angel all night long and not lose. Do you understand how tough he must have been to wrestle with an angel all night long and not lose? And not only that, the angel probably got tired of being at an equal with him in the fight, touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, knocked it out of joint, and he still wrestled with him. That's that determination that Jacob had. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because Psalms chapter 8, verses 4 and 5 says this, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made man a little lower than the angels. Everybody say the angels. The angels. The angels. 
and has crowned him with glory and honor. So now man is a little lower than the angels. And then Psalms 103 verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength. So here you have a man that is a little lower than the angels, and you have angels that excel in strength, and here you got Joseph wrestling one all through the night, not stopping, hip out of joint, and doesn't let go, and doesn't lose the fight. What's that telling me? That's the level that I must be determined to fight for the things of the kingdom of God in my life and my family if I want to see them happen. Jacob could have quit fighting at any time, and if he would have quit fighting before dawn, he never would have received the blessing. Even when he was done fighting, he would not let go. And the angel of the Lord looked at him and says, let go. And he said, no, not till I get my blessing. Church, there are those of you sitting in here today, and God's saying, I got a blessing for you, but you let go. You quit fighting halfway through the night. You didn't persevere. You didn't prevail. You didn't hold on. Hold on, my people. My blessing's coming. But you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to get dirty. You're going to have to sweat a little bit to get it. And then when you're done doing all of that, don't let go to my word because my blessing is in my word. Can you say amen? In Hosea 12, 3 and 4, it says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. And then he wept. The word prevailed means triumph over, to overcome. He overcame the angel, and in overcoming the angel, he received his blessing, and he wept before the Lord. He cried before God all the time that he put in, all the hours that he put in fighting and wrestling with the angel of the Lord wasn't for naught. It wasn't for nothing. He received that blessing that he wanted. Sure, he was blessed by his father in deception, but this blessing was no longer in deception. This blessing was in victory. This blessing was in triumph. Church, the blessings you've received from God are yea and amen, and they are good things but all for the blessings that God has for you that you got to fight for that you got to work for that you got to get from the sweat of your brow it is those blessings that are going to be the most important to you don't sit there and give up on those blessings don't think that they're not worth it for what you have is small but what God has for you is so much greater but you must prevail you must persevere you must put your nose to the grindstone and keep pushing through and when you get to the other side that's going to be the greatest blessing you'll ever see in your life can you get that? A spider right there. It's all right, devil. Marty, will you get that? How long are we willing to hold on? How long are we willing to hold out for the blessings that God has for us? What are we willing to go through? What are we willing to have to do? What are we willing to sacrifice in our lives so that we can receive that? The same way Jacob did. I'm sure 2 o'clock in the morning, Jacob's probably looking for the sun. When is this battle going to quit? Is this guy ever going to get weak? Is this guy ever going to get tired? Has anybody here ever been in a really long fight before in your life where it seems like it's a never-ending battle? And you're like, God, I'm just so tired. I'm so beat down. I'm so sick of this. I'm so tired of going through this struggle. I'm so tired of these aches and pains. I'm so tired of this fear. I'm so tired of this worry. I'm so tired of not having money. I'm so tired of my knees hurting. I'm so tired 
tired of headaches. I'm so tired of my children not serving God. I'm so tired of feeling like my wife doesn't love me. I'm so tired of feeling like my kids don't love me. I'm so tired of God of feeling like they're never going to serve God. I'm so tired of the addictions. And you're sitting and you're saying, Pastor Cowan, I'm so tired of all of it. I want my marriage put back together, God. And you feel like you're spinning your wheels. And you feel like you never ever get to that place. And God's saying, keep on prevailing. Keep on persevering. Persevering. Your victory is coming. But there are times in our life when the battle is real and the battle's going to be long. And you've got to dig in at those times and not give up, not quit, and keep pushing through till you get your victory. You know how many men wanted to quit General George Washington of Valley Forge? But they persevered through the winter. There are many of those that died in the process. Many of those that wanted to pack up their bags and go home. Many that didn't want to stay there, but they stayed there and they persevered and they saw a victory. How many here, y'all, most of y'all here are from Indiana, right? How many here have heard of a guy by the name of Ralph Teeter? How many know who Ralph Teeter was? Come on, man. He's the pride of Indiana. You mean this old Georgia Southern boy knows who he is after I Google his name the other day and you don't? (laughs) Ralph Teeter was from Hagerstown, Indiana. How many know where Hagerstown, Indiana is? He was born in 1890, and by the age nine, he built a device out of a bicycle that he could put on train tracks and pedal down down the train tracks. And people began to use it. It was lightweight. It could be set on tracks, and they would use it to get to work each day. By the age of 12, he built a working automobile. By age 32, he invented the gear shifter for cars. By age 46, he invented what we now today call cruise control for automobiles. By age 48, he was president of the Society of Automotive Engineers. At age 50, he founded Junior Achievement. How many know what Junior Achievement is? At age 88, he was inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame. But Ralph Teeter never, ever drove an automobile in his entire life. Not even the little vehicle that he invented at age 12, because at age 8, in an accident, he was blind. And he was blind the rest of his entire life. But Ralph Teeter wasn't going to let one setback dictate his drive, his ambition, and his life. He couldn't see a lick, but he didn't let it stop him. Look at the accomplishments he had. He could have sat down after that day at age eight and said, that's it, I quit, I lost a battle. He tried to open a bookshelf, a a, a drawer with a knife. The drawer flew open, it broke the knife blade, it went behind the eye, it cut a nerve and blinded him in both eyes. From that day on, he never saw again. But look at the accomplishments in, in his life. Today, God is challenging each person in here today not to quit fighting. Not to wake up on a Sunday morning and say, you know, it's a little cold outside. I'm going to give up on the victory I might have in that place today. I'm going to give up, God, on the victory you got today and push it back to next week because I don't want to put a coat on or because I'm coughing today or because, you know, I just don't think I got enough gas to get to church today and then to work tomorrow morning. But, you know, God, 
there's a good ball game that's coming on early today, or I got something, I got family coming over, God, I'm just going to have to put you on hold for a day, and that's how the enemy starts doing it. You begin to miss a service here, you miss a service there, and next thing you know, you've lost your children, next thing you know, you've lost your job, next thing you know, you're addicted to this, you're addicted to that. These are just examples I'm giving you of how the enemy attacked. That's how he operates. I was just sitting down. I was just talking to my wife yesterday. I'm like, man, I said this whole past week just seems like a blur. I feel like I let God down this past week. You know, my dad comes into town to go to a ball game with me. Next thing I end up, I'm sick. I'm in bed. Next thing you know, five days has gone by, and I think I spent a total of 35 minutes in prayer. I'm like, man, I said, it's so easy. I said, you always know that the enemy's going to attack you, but you always think it's some great thing. It's going to smack you between the eyes, but that's not how the devil operates. The devil operates very subtly, very slowly, just like he did in the Garden of Eden with Eve. It's little slow things here and there, and he begins to attack you and work on you and do things to you. And next thing you know, you've gone Monday through Friday, and you're like, man, I haven't spent any time in prayer. I haven't read my Bible, but you know what? I'm going to go to church this Sunday and get right, and next week I'm going to start doing it again. And next week comes, and you find yourself in the same rut, and next thing you do, you wake up, and it's been three, four weeks since you prayed, and you've read your Bible, and you're like, man, where's the time go? I'll start next week. Sometime you got to get to the point where you stop saying, I'll start next week, and you start right that moment. Let someone wrong your kid at school or your kid come home with a bloody nose from school and do you think you're going to wait till next week to call the teacher and tell them about it? Or do you think you're going to wait to go to the principal's office a month later and do something? You're going to be on the phone that night wanting to know what happened to your child. And God's saying the same thing when the enemy comes against you and he's trying to rob you of everything that God's bestowed you and, and, and you've inherited through the kingdom of God. Why wait three, four weeks, six, seven, eight months to get right with God, to get set it right with the devil? Stop what you're doing and go to the throne right there, right then, and grab that thing and take it back. I remember when I was I was living out in Wichita, Kansas. I don't even remember what years that was. It was the year you left. What year did you leave Kansas? It was in 1997. I thought I was cool. I was driving my Ford Bronco too. <laughs> Y'all laughing about it. That was a good ride back then, man. <clears throat> And I parked, went in the grocery store, came out, and it was gone. It was, yeah, that was a cool enough truck, somebody stole it. So y'all can laugh if you want. The reality is that thing was stolen. <clears throat> so it was gone. You think I waited two weeks to find out where it went? I don't think you were there when that happened, was you? Yeah, because you had been riding with me. Tim was the enforcer back then. Don't know what he enforced, but he was the enforcer. <laughs> but boy, I went home and I called the police. They came out and they filled a report. That wasn't good enough for me. You think I was, I was going to sit there on my couch and not know? You know, the town wasn't that big. Wichita was only 300,000 people. You know, in my opinion, <laughs> that ain't that big. I'm going to find my car. So I went looking. I got a couple of buddies of mine from the Air Force. Um, one of them was my supervisor, a guy by the name of Dave Blow. And another guy, one of Tim's best friends, his name was Lanny Hicks. And the three of us, we went out and we got in a vehicle and we started looking for my car that was stolen that day. And man, sure enough, about 8 o'clock that night, here it comes rolling down the road. Whoa, there it is! We start chasing. This guy realized he's being chased now. And I mean, he is hitting it through town. 
I mean, he's going, I'm sitting there fired up. That dude's going faster than that thing that I ever went in. And he cut through some lights, and man, we lost him at a red light because there was a police car sitting there. And I'm sitting there wondering, why is that police car going right now? Why ain't he going? Why ain't he going? And I filed a police report. So I called the police and said, hey, man, you got a cop sitting right there, and my car's going down the road. Oh, we haven't put that into the system yet. Sorry about that, sir. So that was it. I was even more determined then. Nothing was going to make me go home now because I knew it was out on the streets. And lo and behold, about 10 o'clock at night, I see it again. And this time we hang back and we call the police department. And within 20 minutes, that cop had him pulled over. And I had my vehicle back. See, I was determined once my vehicle got stolen, I wasn't going to quit until I had it back. What has the devil taken from you in the last couple weeks, last few months, that you just let him have and you never went back after it? Maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's your joy. Maybe it's the victory that he's given you in something that you allowed the devil to steal it right back. Maybe it's your marriage. Whatever it might be, everyone in here, there's something the devil's taken from you. And if he ain't taking it from you, it's because he's not worried about you. You can't think of anything. You've got to start asking the question then, why ain't he coming after me? Let's all stand. Sister Crystal comes forward. Why ain't